the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I know a place where we can go to lay the troubles down, eating your soul. I know a place where mercy flows. Take the stains, make it whiter than snow. Like a tide, it is rising up deep inside a current that moves and makes you come alive. Living water that brings the dead to life. This is Crosswalk. With Gino Geraci. We're going down to the river, down to the river, down to the river to pray. Hey, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number's 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Mary, welcome to the program. There's nobody there. Hello? Mary, are you there? I hear somebody in the background. Are you there, Mary? Hello? Yeah, I can hear you now. Oh, okay. Thanks. I was like, I've been waiting all this time, and all of a sudden it wants to do this. No, no. (laughs) So how can I help you? But, uh... (laughs) You know, I was calling, um, as I told the gentleman who answered the phone, I I have, this has bothered me for years, because I, I just want to get an understanding. If it's in the Bible, it's significant, and so I want to know. But um, whenever I read about the crucifixion and the part where the Roman soldiers spear him in the side, I have always wondered what the what is the meaning of the blood in the water? Oh, the you know. meaning of the blood and the water. Well, I'm right. gonna su- I'm gonna suggest um, that the 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 principal meaning of the blood and the water is the method of death. Um, the way that I would think about it, because it's different from from just the blood. In other words, the reality of the sacrifice. So, to your point. Um, it's talked about in Mark chapter 15, verse 15, and John chapter 19, verse 1. And so right. the scourging would have been enough to kill a normal person. But again, right. it was necessary for the gospel writers to demonstrate that Jesus is really dead. And so those who were flogged would go into what's called hypovolemic shock. It's a term that refers to low blood volume. In other words, the person would have lost so much blood they go into shock. And this would the, the result would be the heart would race to try and pump blood that's not really there. The victim collapses and faints due to low blood pressure. The kidneys begin to shut down to preserve the body fluids. So the person is experiencing extreme thirst as the body is fighting to replenish the lost fluids. And so this 
is evidence from Scripture that Jesus is actually experiencing shock as a result of being flogged. He's carrying his own cross in John 19. He collapses. Simon helps him carry the cross the rest of the way up the hill. And then prior to, to his death, um, the rapid heartbeat and and, and uh, causes fluid to gather in the sack around the heart, around his lungs. And the gathering of the fluid in the membrane around the heart is called the precardial effusion. And so the fluid gathering around the, 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 the lungs is called plural effusion. This explains that Jesus died. So for the, so part of the point is as gross and as, as graphic as this is, Mary, there were people who suggested Jesus didn't really die, that he swooned, that somehow he passed out. They just thought he was dead and that he went to the, the, the tomb and that he was somehow revived. So the, the, so the Bible writers want you to know that he is dead. And so the, the, the Roman spear that pierces both his lungs and his heart, the blood and the water come out, as it's recorded in John 19.34, so that even the most callous skeptic should be able to come to the conclusion, no, he really died. Okay. That explains it. You know, that explains it all. I just... I, I no, thank you for years, asking like me this question. This, since I, I've been I, a kid, I, no, since I was 12 and I first read that, I am yeah. 63 years old, and this is how long I've been wondering well, you know, about this. See, and the, it, it's your kind of question that gives me hope for this program, because I obviously don't like to talk about the collapse of culture, even though the culture is collapsing all around us. I would much rather talk about Jesus and I would much rather talk about what and answer the kinds of questions that you're asking. Because, again, as you can imagine, you probably know people, you probably know people that they think that maybe the New Testament account of Jesus isn't really true. It didn't really happen. That it never happened. And and that that. That they they don't believe it even for a minute. They think that you believe some bizarre superstition. No, I mean, I, like I said, you know, I've I've read the Bible. My mom bought me my first own Bible when I was twelve, and I've read it ever since. And I've always, whenever I read that part, it it always raises. It's always raised that question: What was the significance? Yeah, the big, um, the big, you know, the short answer: He's really dead. The short answer, okay. the, the the longer answer, is the one that I gave you. That can you imagine? Hundreds of years later, scientists, medical doctors, will understand the phenomenon as it's recorded in the gospel that that really happened. Yeah. Oh, I I have no doubt it really happened. But I was just like I said, I I never could understand that. And I've just and like I said, I've read my Bible since my mom gave it to me. But well, it's sh- just here lately when I read it, you know, when I read about the crucifixion, I just start crying. I just and I can't. I don't know. I don't even know why. And I even I'm getting choked up just thinking about it. But it just it's. It's 
so sweet. I mean, it is just. Yeah, so think about the remarkable sacrifice. Yeah, the sacrifice. Yes. The sacrifice just, that Jesus purposed because he had you in mind. Now, obviously, I'm so grateful that so many people have been the beneficiary of the Jesus' sacrifice. But right. how sweet is it that right. you, you are the beneficiary? And how sweet for your mom. I mean, your mom sounds like she was a very special woman. And, and a oh, very a, a she, person who loved was, Jesus and loved you. Yes, she um, she was. I can't even begin to you know. I don't even want to because all I'm gonna do is start crying. But man, well, hopefully there are know, tears of joy and gratitude. <laughs> they are because uh, my parents divorced, but you know I find myself lately just. Since my dad passed and everything, it's just no matter what they didn't agree on, they agreed on that we needed Jesus in our life. They might not have agreed on anything else, but they agreed on that. <laughs> they were a, a united front on that. And, and I was thinking, you know, it took me a lot of years to realize, you know, that um, isn't that the most important thing? Yeah, there's nothing Even if more they important. don't agree on everything, is that is the most important thing in life, is that. And so, you know, whenever I pray, I pray every day that I, I am grateful that I had believing parents that taught us. Because yeah, it, it's, there is, it, people are, I, I drive down Colfax and to and from work, and uh, it's just a lot of people, you know, it, it's just. They're so lost, and that. All, but for the grace of God, there go I. And you know, all the more I, every reason. time I see them, I see that, and it's just like I am so glad I had parents that taught us. Well, thank you for calling you know. and asking this important well, question. Thank you. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate it because this fifty-one-year-long question that I have had got answered. <laughs> Well, let me know when you come up with a new one. I love talking to you, and God bless you. Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Would love, love, love to take your calls about... God, the historical Jesus about the Bible, and of course the last caller's um, question about what happened at Calvary's cross. Um, it just makes me think about so many other questions about blood and the sacrifice and the mention of blood in the Bible. And for many, many people, that's a big turnoff. And um, so you know, people ask the question, why does Christianity and require blood? Why is blood such an important part of the equation? And um, that's a good question, and it's an important question. 303-873-1935, that's the number if you want to join me on the program. And like I said, I've been talking about... Um, Victor Davis Hansen, and he's been talking about the collapse of culture um, the, or the cultural collapse in America. 
And, you know, he points out a couple of things. He talks about the debt crisis, which I can imagine is not going to be front and center in this next election cycle. But at some point, the powers that be have to ask that very hard question. And, of course, I think the military crisis that we have that Victor Davis Hanson brings up um, is an important issue. He points out in his article that he's posted at AmericanGreatness.com, he says that Americans have lost deterrence abroad. By that, he means that the presence of the American military throughout the planet Earth isn't sufficient to cause people to say, well, I'm not going to kill my neighbor. I'm not going to invade their country. I'm not going to do this or that. So imagine that. I think that that's what he means. So you, uh, Russia invades Ukraine. Ru- uh, China will toy with the possibility of repossessing Taiwan. The people in Gaza, or at least a little over a thousand people in Gaza on October 7th attack an Israeli settlement and a concert that was being held by Israeli young people killing over a thousand people. And so Victor Davis Hansen points out a couple of things. He goes, well, what do you do with the fact that the current president and this current administration fled Afghanistan, leaving billions of dollars of munitions and equipment in the hands of the Taliban terrorists. Why did it allow a Chinese spy balloon to literally cross America from sea to shining sea with, with impunity? Why did the current administration signal to Russia when preparing an invasion of Ukraine that our reaction would depend on the magnitude of Putin's offense, leaving the Russian uh, dictator with it with with the idea? Well, you know, if I invade Ukraine, well, uh, tough luck. Why has military recruitment cratered in the United States of America, shortening the Pentagon of thousands of soldiers? Why do Iranian proxies attack almost daily U.S. installations abroad, chipping away in the Red Sea, apparently with no fear of reprisal? But again, Victor Davis Hansen wrote this article before the United States and Britain laid at least <laughs> siege, if you want to use that term, to southern Yemen. So how how bad is it? What did they exactly do? And was it sufficient for the, the Houthis to say, hey, you know what, we're going to stop uh, bombing uh, ships as they enter the Red Sea? So Victor Davis Hansen says, Why did Hamas slaughter Israelis on October 7th? Pause and think about that question that he asks. Why did they do it? Why did they do it? Was it a last gasp at freedom? Is it because of the egregious problems between the Hamas 
Palestinians and the Israelis? Did they really think that they could get away with it? Did they really think that they would conquer Israel? Did they really think that it would generate enough sympathy among Muslim-majority countries that they would come to their rescue and literally fulfill their goal to kill every Jew and then eliminate the modern state of Israel? And so Victor Davis Hansen, in his article that's posted at AmericaGreatness.com, says, quote, Is the answer a deliberate effort to curb supposed American arrogance by once more leading from behind? Are we rebooting the Obama administration's bankrupt idea of empowering an Iranian crescent from Tehran to Damascus to Beirut to Gaza to ensure creative tension between Israel and moderate Arab and Persian-led theocratic Shiites? This is Victor Davis Hansen's way of saying Does this current administration believe that their policies are going to create the exact diplomatic solution to ensure peace in the world? Or is it going to ensure further aggrandizement? He goes on and he talks about the problem of race. He says, why when so-called non-white ethnicities and races were achieving parity with or exceeding the majority population and per capita income, and when racial intermarriage was commonplace, did we blow up the values of the civil rights movement and revert to pre-civilizational tribalism? Victor Davis Hansen says, with the utmost eloquence, he says, quote, who are the sophists who convinced us that racially segregated dorms, space, safe spaces and graduations or using race as an arbiter of admission and hiring was not in and of itself racist? He's basically answering the question, how could so many people, how could so many people be duped into embracing ideological social justice? He writes, and I quote, when did we lump together an entire cadre of diverse ancestries, ethnicities, religions, politics, classes, and values, and dub them all, well, white? He's using air quotes. And then smear them collectively in stereotypical fashion. When did we calibrate race as the chief determinative factor in our identities? Have we become pre-modern tribal people, feuding clans right out of Norse sagas, ghosts of the Balkans, nursing ancient grievances and hatreds? Since when in history has a nation's diversity ever been preferable to its unity? And then he goes on and he says, Did anyone say, well, in 2004, believe that in just 20 years the left would try to maintain or mainstream the previous rare medical malady of gender dysphoria into a transgendered civil rights issue by insisting on three 
rather than two sexes. Now, of course, Victor Davis Hanson is right about that, but he also failed to include that for many people, it's not just three. It's not just five. It's not even just 50. That the gender spectrum might be infinite in both directions. Yeah. I think he's right. There's something really wrong in America. This is Gino Geraci. 947 This is Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. Hey, welcome back. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303 873 1935. 303 873 1935. And uh, I've been reading and talking about um, Victor Davis Hansen's article that's been posted at. Um, what, where was the site that it was posted? Because I've now I've lost the article, but I'll I'll get back to it. But to 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 make a, a long story short, um, he's talking about the collapse of American culture, and it's interesting to me. Um, there was another article that I wanted to somewhat touch on. That was posted at CBN. Now, CBN is Christian Broadcasting uh, Network. And they posted an article by Talia Wise on um, by Franklin Graham. And basically, Franklin Graham was critiquing a group of British Methodists for editing the Bible, for removing the words husband and wife. And so uh, Franklin Graham was basically calling out the Methodist Church of Great Britain by saying, you know, you're trying to edit what God has said in order to avoid or in order to um, avoid offense. And so Graham's strong statement came after the church released what they called an inclusive language guide advising its leaders to avoid using gender terms like husband and wife because it's not the reality for many people. Instead, using neutral words like parent, partner, and carer. And so the denomination called its leaders to repent for hurtful language. Now, pause and think about that. Pause and think about husband and wife being characterized as hurtful language. And that for some reason, excluding the term husband and wife doesn't constitute hurt for those who embrace a traditional view of marriage. And so, according to this so-called guidance, it said, quote, part of the work of being a justice-seeking church is about recognizing and acknowledging that harm has been done to marginalized groups in the past 
not just by wider society, but at times by the church itself, and that it is the church's responsibility to make amends. So what what they're basically saying is, you know what? The church's primary goal is to embrace diversity, inclusion, and equity, And the answer is, no, that isn't the role of the church. The role of the church isn't to accommodate the current culture in its degradation of language and in its commitment to undermining what the Bible says about any given subject. In this case, when the Bible says he creates the male and female— and that it's the Bible that uses the designations of husband and wife, that it's, a, that it's clearly and culturally the most appropriate thing to do. The, this guidance says, quote, it's crucial for our communication to be sensitive and inclusive for such a long time. Such groups have been marginalized or demonized by common culture. Somebody once asked me, you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I said, what if, what if the baby is Rosemary's baby? So when they're talking about demonizing, is it wrong to demonize demons? Is there such a thing as evil? And so we're back to what I talked about earlier. What is the church's task? It's to love God. It's to glorify God. It's to display God's grace. It's to evangelize the world. It's to baptize believers, instruct believers, edify believers, discipline believers, provide fellowship for believers, to care for its own in times of need. But it is also, we have been tasked to care for others, and we have been tasked to act as a restraint and an enlightening force in the present world and to promote all that is good. So is it a good idea to promote as a good mental and and emotional distress like gender dysphoria and then to accommodate a person's gender dysphoric aberration as normal. So imagine you, you're, you're making a statement. Homosexual behavior is normal behavior. Is that a true statement or, or is that a false statement? If it's a true statement or a false statement, on what basis are you going to make that statement? If you make it on the basis of what the Bible has to say about it, you can't with a clear conscience say homosexual behavior is normal. You can't say that a person who is a man pretending to be a woman or a woman pretending to be a man is normal unless you upend the definitions of normal and then 
make sure that you absolutely and positively do not, I repeat, do not use the Bible as a frame of reference. But what if you're somebody like me who says, well, wait a minute, I think it's the Bible that gives me the mechanism whereby I can think carefully about reality. And this so-called guidance that was given to the leaders of the Methodist Church in Britain, they update their information every six months with inclusive language, which includes addressing their congregations. Instead of using terms like men and women, they're encouraged to use less offensive language. So think about that for just a moment. You mean the term man and woman is offensive? You mean the term husband and wife is offensive? They said, try gender-neutral language like folks, teammates, friends, colleagues, or people. Similarly, it says the word man used as a verb who's manning the front desk, for example, can make people feel excluded. And Franklin Graham rightly said, this is nonsense. This is nonsense. He, he writes on his, on his Facebook page, he says, quote, Shame on the Methodist Church. Franklin Graham, CEO of Samaritan's Purse, he wrote on his Facebook post, quote, These are biblical terms, and marriage between a man and a woman is biblical truth. The word wife is used some 360 verses in 38 books of the Bible. So when Franklin Graham says, look, the word is used 360 times in 38 books of the Bible, they're in essence saying, let's get rid of it. Get it out. Take it out. And teach something that's more appealing to the changing whims of culture, that from Franklin Graham. He says we're warned against that in Scripture. As Christians, we aren't called to avoid what might offend people. We're called to share the truth of God's Word that guides us and directs us through every step of life. I think he's right. This is Gino Geraci, 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Now, back to Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me. I hope you find yourself in church. I know we're going to have horrible, terrible weather this weekend. It's my understanding that in some places it's going to be negative 12 along the front range and that the high is going to be zero. So you need to be careful, careful, careful. But my plan is to be in Longmont this Sunday. I'm going to be at Grace Bible Church. The plan is to teach, and the weather permitting, I plan 
to to be there. So 303-873-1935, that's my number if you want to join me on the program. Uh, let's see who's up. Daniel, welcome to the program. Brother Gino, this is your Italian brother. There's only two type of men, remember? Italian people and people who wish they were. <laughs> you, I called you for a little chuckle about five weeks ago. I was I was on my bed with COVID. And, brother, I just want to thank you. The love you shared for me, brother. I shed a tear when you were ministering to me, brother. You ministered on Matthew eleven twenty eight about rest. And I can yes. add to that renewal and then revival. Revival has been on my heart ever since I was a young man of God. There just has to be a move of God. I believe there will be. I believe I, I shared a heavy or weighty letter with you. I don't know if you opened it yet or if you remembered or whatever, but it had a little something for you, a little love gift. And it had oh, to do you. with uh, it had to do with uh, the donkey dead. The elephant dead, the eagle will soar. This, uh, this nation is moving to a theocracy. I don't call myself a prophet or a son of a prophet, but I love you, and I just want to call you and thank you. Well, and, you know, I've been talking about some of the real damaging things that are happening right at this very moment. Oh. From my mouth to God's ears, I hope you're right. I hope that mm-hmm. that there are people who will say, enough. I've had enough of sin. Mm-hmm. I've had enough of rebellion. I've had enough of walking my own way. I've had enough of being sleepy and stagnant, and I want to serve the Lord. And uh, again, our country has experienced great awakening. In the 1740s, mm-hmm. uh, if it wasn't for people like Jonathan Edwards and and uh other people at that time, I don't think an American revolution could have ever taken place. And then you okay. think about all of the times that 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 people have awakened in a strange way, and they've said, hey, you know what? Let's collectively turn from our sin and turn to the Savior. Let's once again put God on the throne. Let's once again... Oh, brother. Preach um, it, brother. Preach it. And, and so, you know, again, God through his Holy Spirit calls us to... Revival. My own view is that the United States of America will not be a theocracy, and that a you theoc- don't want a theocracy. No, I, I. Yeah, here. Let me put it to you this way: okay, I, I want, I want a theocracy. Here. I want a theocracy when Jesus comes and rules and reigns in power and glory. Oh, to me, the okay. only sufficient, the only sufficient. Um, I'm going to use the term dictator. The only sufficient dictator from a theocratic standpoint is going to be Jesus Christ himself. And by the way, I really do believe that when Jesus returns, he's going to set up a global theocracy. Now, so, but what about now? What about now? Well, we have a constitutional republic. Well, kind of we do, but it doesn't seem that people are actually embracing it, obeying it, and functioning in it because of what George Washington and others said, hey, 
this constitution and a constitutional republic based on laws and moralities has to be informed deeply by a Judeo-Christian worldview, which is not, I repeat, not a part of the culture in which we live. You can say that twice. Yeah, you know, I was uh, under the tutelage of uh, Gary Wilkerson, David Wilkerson's uh, son. I'm sure you've heard of him. He's ministering now in Colorado Springs. And uh, I told him, I pulled him aside and said, listen, I've been sharing the gospel in the open air on the 16th Street Mall. And he goes, that's good. I'm glad. I go, you saw something that needed to be done, and you did it. And and, uh, he was my pastor, and I ministered in the open air. Ever since uh, 2000, and uh, moving to Aurora, and uh, get a one-bedroom, get to study in, and get ready for what I believe there's going to be a significant spark, even on the 16th Street Mall. I believe there'll be signs, wonders, and miracles confirming the word preached. And I mean, the enemy can't come in like. I mean, it's a tidal wave. It's not even a flood. <laughs> It's a tidal wave from all four corners of the world, but you know, I just, I just hope and pray that I'm um, hearing from God right that you're you're testing the spirit, and I know you do. And I uh, uh, thanks again for. Uh, and you know what? You what know, what's interesting, even about that passage that you just brought up in First John chapter four, he says, "Test the spirits to see whether or not yeah. they're from God." Mm-hmm. If you remember what the test is, the test is what does this spirit have to say about Jesus? What is the mm-hmm. Spirit saying about Jesus? Is he the Lord? Is he the Lord? And so that's the ultimate test. The ultimate test is what is the Spirit saying about Jesus? So here's where I agree with you. Jesus okay. is truly the only Lord. Jesus is the only one who has the right to rule and reign without impunity or rebellion. But we live in a broken world with rebellious people. You know, Revelation chapter 2 talks about a church that tolerated false teachers and false teaching. Revival Mm -hmm. helps us find the truth. Revelation 3 describes a dead church going through the motions. Revival resuscitates it to spiritual living. And so ultimately, the evidence of revival is a changed life, not a changed political system. Although, although, ultimately, I believe the Bible teaches that Jesus will return and he will establish a theocracy. But I'm not as hopeful as you that it's going to happen here and now. Okay. Um, yeah, uh you know, uh, I said what I needed to say. Uh, I definitely... I and I've what, said I what mean, I've needed to say, and thank you for sharing, you know. Uh, you, know I love, you know, I love you. I, someday we're going to find the real Italian. I don't know where it is in the city. <laughs> we're going to find the real Italian. We're going to sit down, break bread, and have rigatoni, which is my favorite. My dad cooked spaghetti for us every Sunday night growing up. Yeah, it's soul food. It's soul food. <laughs> oh, brother, you're, you're worth a million, man. Uh, yeah, let's just uh, get souls into the kingdom. That's what I'm all about. Well, are you well now? Have you recovered? Well, you know what? It's just like um, 
I mean, there is definitely spiritual pushback as far as when you stand in the middle of a city on the 16th Street Mall and, you know, lift up your, you know, and plead the blood. And, you know, I'm not one to bring attention to myself. And selfish ambition is way out the door. And, you know, I've learned obedience to the things I've suffered. And Jesus uh, learned obedience from the things he suffered. And Charles Haddon Spurgeon and Winston Churchill have nothing on me as far as uh, the black dog. So I'm fighting. <laughs> I need your I, <laughs> I need your prayers. And, brother, hopefully by God's grace, is when these are led by the Spirit of God, they'll be the sons of God. And hopefully he leads me to the 16th Street Mall and will bear some fruit. That's, that's where my heart is, brother. I love you and appreciate your prayers. And know someone's fighting alongside of you in Denver, Colorado. Blessings. Enjoy your weekend. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.